Aalto University Podcast. This is Car Creatures. I'm Tommy Kaupinen, and today I have a special guest, Lydia Raroma. How are you doing? Very good. Excellent to have you here. Um, hey, um, can you um, share the listeners like where you're in life now and about your background as well and where you come from and where you're going perhaps? Yeah, sure. Happy to share. So uh, I'm working now as an educator in Alto Ventures program, basically teaching leadership, self-leadership. But uh, in the February, until February, I was a head of education of Alto Ventures program. So basically now I'm in a transition mode from the manager to the expert in the topic and my background. So all together, I'm seven years now in Alto. Yeah, quite a lot. Wow. Uh, I started here as a student in ITBM, International Design Business Management in the business school. It was my second master's. And then I was still a student in IGBM. I started to be first a course assistant in the Alta Ventures program, then the co-teacher, then the teacher, then the head of education, and now an educator. So quite a journey, I would say. And uh, my background, I came, like I was born in St. Petersburg. I had my first education in business in St. Petersburg. I was living a little bit and studying also in France, again, business. <laughs> then I moved to Moscow and I was working for multiple years there, mostly as a project manager, working in a change in the company culture in, for example, nuclear industry in Rosatom. It was a quite a heavy but exciting project. And back then in Rosatom, I met uh, a Finnish architect, Yari Inkinen, and he told me about design thinking as a field. And it was very exciting to know this as a field. And I started to search and found that, for example, back then in uh, Alto, it was this IDBM program and design thinking was a core of that. And it was out of 10 best design thinking programs in the world. So I decided to subscribe and it was my second master's. So here I am now in this transition from the manager to the educator. And I have in my expertise, I would say, project management, design thinking, which I was teaching and practicing and studying. And now for last four years, a self-leadership and well-being topics. And yeah, it's a long story, but like why self-leadership and well-being, where it's coming from? It's again, like from design thinking and um uh, once with my colleague, Johannes Cairo, also from uh, Alta Ventures program, we found out that actually design thinking can be used towards yourself, that you can be a project. And then we start to explore much more this area. There is, for example, this designing your life methodology. And then we start to uh, teach that, especially in the course, Good Life Engine course. Now it was four times in Alto that this course was held. And so far it's quite successful course. There are students from all Alto schools, all backgrounds, all ages, 
all cultures, I would say, and different life stories. Amazing. And, and hey, thanks, uh, Lydia, for sharing about your background and uh, story so far. <laughs> um, this is exactly where I would like to have uh, like a deep dive into all these exciting topics and all this expertise that you have gathered. So, um, so if you look at the world now, and given also your like amazing uh, background and all these uh, learnings, uh, what kind of skills or mindsets are useful to learn in this super complex world we are living in? Yeah, we are living definitely in a very difficult and complex world. And um, I would answer in that sense, I see a need for everyone to master the skill of handling uncertainty. And it's very hard. Uh, also because our brain has always this default mode to which it wants to get back, kind of to some place uh, where things don't change because this is how we are. And of course, it's easy to live then we can predict things, but now we cannot. And so many things, hap things happened last years, starting from COVID and the war, now AI. So who knows what will happen next spring? <laughs> what mm -hmm. else remains? Uh, so in that sense, of course, it's hard and uh, we cannot control or predict things. So it's, uh, crucial for us and for me as well to learn the skill to stop worrying about the things that we cannot control and just being fine with the uncertainty. And another uh, skill that I think is important is how to stay stable through the challenges. And I'm talking about that because I had a chance to meet many entrepreneurs and startup uh, startuppers because we are placed in the startup ecosystem and we have a lot of entrepreneurial guests coming and talking with them is always super exciting and insightful. So what they these guys have, they can really live during many multiple years facing the failures, but still keeping the faith to themselves, believing in their success one day. And I think this is something which, again, everyone would benefit to learn from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Isn't it also like um, if you have failures, you learn learn from them, isn't that also a way to create a better story and create an actual story when you start getting some success? I'm just thinking about all the interesting startup stories that, oh, yeah, first five years uh, we were struggling and... And you listen, you hear this uh, from like big companies also today, like, okay, even 10 years ago, they were so close to bankruptcy or even five years ago, and now they are the biggest in the world. Yeah, I think it's always like that. It's kind of very easy to, in theory, learn things and imagine them, but the practice is always much more complex than the theory and only through practicing things you can learn. Otherwise, your learning or understanding would be always incomplete. I mean, it's an example would be how can you imagine what does it mean to be a parent without being one? I mean, in theory, you can imagine, you can read many books and think that you're prepared, mm -hmm. but in practice, you're never prepared for this. 
Yeah. Hey, um, you mentioned something super interesting, like uh, learning to live with the uncertainty and uh, how hard it is to predict anything, like anything that happens even in like within next year or so. But um, how about, um, how do you see, can we predict anything? Like, let's say, let's fast forward like 30 years. So <laughs> it would be amazing to hear your um, like ideas, like what, how the world could look like then? Do we recognize it anymore? Or like, what will people learn then, if anything? Yeah, it's a very hard question. Then we cannot predict even a year from now. But in that sense, I'm just trying to keep this positive mindset and hope that we will live smarter than now and easier than now. Like, for example, now there is AI talks, like in discussions everywhere. And of course, like, just like others, I'm little bit afraid of that because I don't know what exactly that means, but also have a lot of hopes for it. And I hope that, for example, AI could liberate people in some way from doing useless work or doing routine tasks and give us extra time to do something which we really care about and that brings us energy and joy of living. And also, like all this neuroscience is developing with a very nice speed. So I think we also will be smarter from every year about how our brain works, how we work, who we are, how can we reestablish connection with ourselves and with others. So mm -hmm. combining with these new opportunities with time usage, with this knowledge, I hope that will help us to live, in a sense, smarter and more peaceful. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, of course, related to identity. I mean, what you said, uh, super interesting, like like to learn who we are as humans, like how are we operating and then what do we need? So how do you see, um, because learning is so much exactly building this identity and communicating this identity to others and also learning to know, getting to know other people who share the identity or developing this identity. So um, how do you see your own identity now? And uh, where would you like to develop it next? Uh, it's actually identity because I'm an educator and I talk with many students. Mm -hmm. I think building identity is the biggest changes, uh, challenges for youngsters now. These because they have a lot of choice and these direct lifelines which been using like working for their grandparents, I would say, mm -hmm. or parents, they don't work anymore. So they can be whomever they want, but then how to choose whom I want to be. It's really, really difficult. Yeah, it's about others. But about myself, I have, like many other people, multiple roles. I'm a mother of two teenagers, for example. So this is one identity, how to feel empathy for people who have a knowledge and they know what to teach to their teenagers, but they know that the teenagers will never listen at this <laughs> age. Then... Uh, 
um, have a husband, so I also have this partner identity. I have friends. But then uh, talking about professional identity, I think I'm an educator and practitioner because I always practice what I preach mm-hmm. and I try all these self-leadership tools on myself first. I don't want to say something out of the theoretical view, but uh, also from the practical point of view. Uh, what I, where I'm going, uh, I'm a little bit too generalist now. I've been before acquiring a lot of different knowledge in different areas, design thinking, entrepreneurship, self-leadership, leadership, team building, and so on, so on, many multiple things. But now I kind of go to the moment that I want to decrease a little bit this white, but start to go in depth of the topics to kind of now going narrow from the wider. Mm. So this is where I am now. Mm. Have you any um, certain topic in your mind, like, or is it like for later phases, like to reveal, like, where would you like to go deeper? A self-leadership. A self-leadership. Okay. Yeah, this is my, what's the umbrella name for all the yeah. topics I'm trying to now investigate. Mm. So... And then inside that could be leadership, well-being, mm-hmm. psychological safety, and so on, so on. This is amazing. But um, if you think about, it, I mean, there's so many well podcasts like what we are doing now, but also books and videos about self-help, you know, different topics and areas. So, um, how do you see? How do you? How can one? truly learn or do we why do we need even more information or is it kind of what we already have enough and if not then why not yeah there are so many uh, available sources and they work great for the inspiration but i can share also like uh, one of the answer for this question like lays in the reasons why we created the good life engine course so As a student back then, we also took some of the different inspiration courses inside the Alto, like how to build a good life, magnificent life, and so on, so on. And they were amazing in terms of the content. And right after the course or during the course, you feel this urge, now I will start to be new me, will start to work on me every single day. And you keep this urge for what? One week, two weeks after the course. Two weeks later, the real life comes back to you and you drop all the things that you just started. So <laughs> the answer to your question is that, yes, there are so many like great tools, but really practicing them is hard. Like, for example, in the Good Life Engine, we have this multi-facet process to actually help students to practice these self-leadership tools. So first, the course is quite long. It's seven months and it's for purpose because only through the long time, during the long period of time, the people can start to see the changes in, in them if they practice. In the beginning of the course, students choose themselves for the different like specific process, the routines for personal growth. They choose, like some people choose meditation, some people choose journaling, reading the books, yoga, exercising, walking, and so on, so on. And then they start to execute these routines during this seven month. And it's always easy for them first 
two or three weeks, but then they have this desire to drop it. But because this is a course, they get the study credits exactly for executing these routines. So they have this sort of a carrot in the end and the push that I need to keep on doing this, even important for myself routine, to get my study credit from the course. This is one thing. Then second, we have this sort of peer support. So we as a teachers, we work uh, as a guides for them. So we talk with the students, we discuss with them, okay, what can you do to make it easier for you to execute these routines? How can you support yourself? So we kind of also like smoothly push them to keep on going in this journey. And then other students also, they have the same issues and they look to each other around the students and they can, okay, if my peer is still doing this, I can also continue. So the peer support, the study credits in the end, the discussions, all these help the students to stay consistent with their routines. And then after like five months, four months, they start to really see the changes inside them. If it's meditation, the students often report that they start to be more focused for on their tasks mm-hmm. or they read certain amount of books if they've been choosing to read the books or they feel more energetic if it was walking or yoga or exercising for example and then uh, another reason why also we keep on searching for different self-leadership books and concepts well probably you have been seen before a book with which is built around one or two like main mythology and the author says okay just do this and that will change your life it would be great if this magical pill will exist and it will solve all life issues but unfortunately it doesn't exist and we are very different we have very different challenges different life situations and one concept which works for one person will never work in the life situation of another person so in that sense uh I more believe in the toolkits or libraries of the tools. And then the people uh, choose among these tools what suits them best. So I try to give the students the full ownership of the process of redesigning their life. And my role is like to be a librarian of the multitude of tools and concepts to share with the students. And they, they design their own journey. So mm-hmm. some of the tools during the course, they skip. But then they pick up those which are the best for them. Mm-hmm. How do you see, uh, because you mentioned um, that, okay, like one thing doesn't work. And one of the things that came to mind is like this kind of uh, work less, breathe out and just don't do too much. So do you think that is one of those kind of bad advices or what do you think about that? So I think that most of the people, and you can disagree with me, uh, they know without any books that it's good not to work too much. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's the balance, basically. So I I really think that um, in order to really achieve something, uh, in order to learn something, you need to work. So, um, for example, let's say, physical exercises for me it's very hard to think that you could somehow magically (laughs) improve your strength or I don't know 
playing abilities in racket games like tennis or squash or paddle if you didn't work at all, right? So I, I think same uh, same um, is uh, true for thinking or basically any skills. So but yeah, that's why. <laughs> that you need to practice, right? You cannot yeah, improve yeah. in tennis if you yeah. what play once per three weeks. No, you cannot. Yeah, and my coach was always saying that you need to um, like hit in a correct way, like forty thousand times correct way. Okay. And then you know it. <laughs> and how many times then you make a mistake? Of course, like multiple times. Yeah. So in that sense, like my point is that it's amazing. Like then the people giving this advice, oh, you just have to work less. Well, I wish I would, but I mean, like many others, we just cannot sometimes. There are like periods of time, then you need to commit and put a lot of effort in something to have a progress, to get the desired workplace, to really learn something. And then again, there is a competition, it's real. We know uh, how challenging it is to, for example, art students to find a job after the graduation. They have amazing education. They are capable to do so many things, but how competitive is the market? Mm -hmm. And now with this economic crisis, I mean, even for the Finnish people, it's difficult to find a new job because there are so many firing, like firing is happening in the companies. And how, for example, for the foreigner, would it be difficult to find a job now in mm -hmm. Finland? So in that sense, all the people, all these people who want to improve or even sometimes survive to pay their bills, they are in a situation that sometimes they need to work hard. They cannot just follow this advice, oh, I will work less and everything will be somehow mm -hmm. magically happen to me in a good way. But what I'm thinking is that it's really crucial for everyone to find these areas of balance, as you said, Tommy, that each of us, we have different activities that brings us energy. Could be running, could be, again, meditation, even taking yourself for the coffee, out for the coffee might be very recharging mm -hmm. for someone. Just having this, I don't know, five, ten minutes for yourself during the mm -hmm. day, once per day. And then all the rest, you can work hard. But if you had this your time, me time, yeah, we call it, and you managed to recharge, then it's really great. And for some people, it's actually spending time with the loved ones, not being alone. Again, they managed to recharge this way. So mm -hmm. the point here is not like probably the best advice is just work less, but it's find your, like, your areas of energy. Yeah. And don't forget to go there quite often to yeah. recharge. Exactly, and, and then use that energy to, you know, practice and do interesting things. And of course, I mean, if we if we can identify our passion, and I'm I'm so aware that it's uh, one of the challenges. Also, I mean, people say that okay, well, they don't know what is their passion, but but uh, once you find it, then perhaps you can by working hard in that area, then find a, find your dream job, and then then the work doesn't feel anymore like work, but it's still very efficient, still very productive and still very useful for other people. Yeah, that's true. But also on the same time, I think one of the issue with this current society and especially social media, it gives us sometimes this illusion that we can 
be perfect in everything, yeah. have this work that we're passionate about, being on the same time well-balanced with the sports, yeah. being a best parent ever, <laughs> being a best partner ever, and also have all the time for yourself, for self-development. Mm. Now, this is an illusion. And mm. the people are posting these pictures on the social media kind of just to convince themselves and others that yeah. like they are living this life, but they are not. No one is living this yeah. life. It's like an illusion. Yes, it's ideal. And uh, with the current economical crisis and the competition, which is here, and it's not an illusion, I think it's also totally fine to have the work which is good, uh, which might be not your core passion, but it's very well balanced that, for example, you don't overwork, you don't work on the weekends, you don't work in the evenings, you manage to pay your bills and you are respected and like um, mm. still like have a good place at this work and it's fine. I mean, mm. like sometimes like some of the, I see younger people thinking like this is a loser journey if you don't work within your passion yeah but uh, i think it depends yeah. then you're like having a small child at home you need to take care probably in this moment you can afford to work in the work which is just comfortable mm -hmm. not the most passionable at this moment for you in the world mm -hmm. exactly so the kind of the um whatever activities uh it can also change over time and it will change over time right so we have uh, different uh, responsibilities at different stages of our lives. Uh, I was just wondering, um, is, it, um, is it something that we should do less, what do you think, in our lives? Or is it like, because I was, you were saying that, okay, we do, we don't, we cannot do everything like super well all the time. So how to? I think uh, we can think a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because we are trained to think and to use our brain like during the whole our life from, the, I would say, kindergarten, then the school, then the university, then the work. And we are not very much trained to use our emotions and the bodies. And then we are thinking we're not actually present. We are like in this thinking clouds. We're not like experiencing the life mm. as it is. And also... Uh, we, in that sense, kind of, then there is some issue. If we start to overthinking about this issue, we kind of put ourselves in the center of this issue and it might seem even bigger than it is mm. because all the attention is like there. So overthinking leads to self-centricity sometimes. And our vision and mind are narrow, then we are self-centered. And we are like a squirrel running inside the wheel, inside yeah. our brain, inside our head. So sometimes just to look around and think about other people um, more than ourselves, it's actually very fruitful and beneficial for the well-being. Mm. That's amazing. I, I so agree with that. I'm, I was just thinking about like, and this is so uh, so much about finding the balance, right? If you first uh, have to think hard and deliver, let's say, a presentation, if you are an educator, um, then after that, just uh, call it a day and then walk back the beach or like have a run or something completely different or seeing friends instead of which I think many of people, many of the people are 
doing and they might uh, start preparing immediately the next day's presentation, which is <laughs> exactly this kind of overthinking or or start worrying about like like next day or whatever. Yeah, really experience. I really like what you said, experience in the world. Um, what do you think? Um, are there some, uh, do you have some uh, self-leadership tips to share to listeners, some other ones? Yes, I like multiple, but one which I really like and that I practice with myself a lot is like put everything into the perspective or in context. So of course, like everyone, I sometimes get anxious and I'm quite neurotic myself and I catch myself like, okay, now I'm overthinking really. And uh, the easy way to get out of that is to think, would that be important and I will be old? for example, <laughs> or would that be really important for me if I will be almost like dying? Or would that be important or would that be an issue for someone else living in different country with much more acute, I would say, issues yeah. like, for example, how to find the fresh water or how to feed the family. So I have an amazing story and I often in my mind got back to this story. It's about my student I had a summer course about entrepreneurship. Like, well, we had with my colleague, with Simu Lahdene. And um, in the course was one student, she was from Nepal, and she was like the best student ever, always asking really good questions, really right to the point questions, being very attentive all the time to what we've been saying, trying to get all additional materials, like very committed student, like the really student that everyone will wish for. And on the same time, she was entrepreneur herself in Nepal and she was sharing a little bit her business story. So basically she was running an enterprise that she created as a solo founder herself with the group of the women who've been suing the children clothing from the eco materials. So very mm. sustainable, great business, which was promoting this also Nepal culture of tissues and like clothing. And uh, then we had like very short coffee talk with her. Everything was online. It was COVID time. And she was sharing a little bit her life with this very smiling eyes and positive attitude. So basically, uh, she has a small child that she alone has to take care of. She has this enterprise that she has to take care of. Then COVID happened. And for example, Nepalese government forbid a workshop to stay open. So she had to rearrange the whole working process. For example, she rearranged that the tissue were delivered to the homes of the workers and then they've been sewn at their own homes. And then the courier was like assembling the ready-made products. So she had to arrange all this. And on the same time, she was going through divorce process. And to cheer herself up, she chose, she chose this entrepreneurial course. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, after that story, I was like, oh my God, like all, if I really have any problems, like issues, because like the person to cheer herself is choosing, choosing quite like still not easy chorus in entrepreneurship this is amazing i think like the power of this woman like the positive attitude towards like it's just an example for me 
Mm-hmm. So uh, lessons learned. So uh, you can actually get a challenge to cheer you up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Uh, but um, is that um, uh, I'm thinking about like um, when should she celebrate? I mean, is there is celebration also one thing? Like, is it like uh, that she also might think that, okay, well, at the end of the course, then she can like, okay, now I achieved something. What do you think? Yeah, another tip that I actually would like to say to everyone also in Finland, and it's really relative here also, uh, it's to remember to celebrate. And you gave this example of someone who just made a presentation and instead of like taking the day off and enjoying start to immediately prepare another presentation. Yeah. And I think uh, this is very common and we are a very self-critical and perfectionist society yeah. in general. And we have these tricks with ourselves, like we think, okay, now I need to really work hard to have this thing done. And as a child, probably like inside us, we promise, okay, I will work hard, but I will I don't know, take the day off or buy myself a small present to do something for myself because this is how we mm. trick our brain to concentrate and work hard on the task. But then the task is done. Often we think, okay, now it's done and I can take another tasks yeah. <laughs> to do. And this is really bad because actually you promised yourself some reward. Yeah. So you need to stay faithful to this promise and really do that because after you will kind of cheat yourself like 10 times, like 11th time, your brain will like, no way, I will not now yeah. concentrate. I will procrastinate forever because last 10 times you didn't give me this reward <laughs> you've been promising. So yeah, of course we need to celebrate. And celebration is a big part of our life because otherwise what we will remember, yeah. the task or the celebration. Totally. And, you know, I was really bad in celebration before. So I was very good in giving myself these promises that, okay, after you have done this, which is like, can be like crazy, big proposal preparation or giving like a biggest talk ever or running this course or running this project or whatever. And I was so good in giving these promises to myself, but so good in like not really <laughs> keeping the promise to myself. So I always jumping into new tasks. So I've been just very recently trying to learn this, um, like to really remember to reward, like, okay, Tommy, you promised yourself <laughs> this thing. And uh, yeah, it's, but it's, it's a really, really, it's not easy to, easy thing to learn in in our society, I think. Yeah, probably even it's important to put the notes somewhere. When yeah. this is done, do this. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And perhaps like uh, something that is visible all the time to you, yes. like everywhere. I mean, not just in physical world, but perhaps your mobile phone, like background <laughs> folder, like, hey, you promised this. Yeah. This is the day when you will. And, you know, it can be these small things like, okay, walk, coffee. I mean, doesn't have to be always like, let's, you know, have a 80 days around the world, which, yeah. by the way, a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, um, about um, about your life, um, I would be uh, interested to hear, like, uh, do you see some, um, like, a life changer point some moment or event or decision, anything that uh, made you think differently 
and about studies, life, work, anything? Yeah, sure. Well, of course, I changed a lot through my life and uh, who I am now. It's not at all the same person who I've been 10 years ago. Then, for example, I was living still in Moscow. So then I moved actually from Russia to Finland. There was a big challenge which developed me. Mm. I didn't speak Finnish and I had no friends or relatives here. And I moved here together with small children children and uh, without any support. But like all these challenges and also I would say cutting myself from the traditional circles I've been in, like with the relatives and friends, helped me to look who I am, what I want, what I can, and kind of recreated this connection with, uh, I managed to recreate the connection with myself in that sense. So sometimes actually it's good to to cut yourself from the uh, traditional environment because you learn to look to yourself, like really face who you are. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting journey and mm-hmm. rewarding in the end. And also, like you said, like even like be a new person. So really create a new identity, new um, yeah, new skills, new mindset, exposure to new cultures. Um, I, what do you think about learning? And I especially like uh, what did you learn last time, perhaps? Because I mean, life is learning, right? So it's yeah. every day or every month or every year we learn something. But um, I would like ask, like I would like to ask, like what did you learn last time exactly? And was it like? By reading a book or online or from a podcast or what? Well, um, for example, I had this speaker, Jako Kopra. He's a neuroscientist. Now he moved to Germany, yeah, for work. But he was three times in a row, the speaker in the Good Life Engine course. And he was talking about comfort zone and out of the comfort zone. And yes, usually we have this idea that there are comfort zones and the zone which is out of our comfort zone. But actually there is this middle layer. Uh, so there's a comfort zone. There's like little bit not very comfortable zone, but then completely out of the comfort zone. And usually um, we even avoid to go into this little bit not very comfortable zone because, well, it's not comfortable. It's something new, it's something unclear something which we didn't explore. But uh, what I learned through also my own experience that actually sometimes to fight a bigger challenge, uh, you can go to this little bit out of the comfort zone because then it becomes your comfort zone. Like what I mean for the experience, an example. So like first year in Finland, very new culture, uh, a lot of new, I would say cultural challenges for me. And uh, I have the first year issues with the, could say, feeling easy, communicating easily with other students. Like there was my, like, just because I came from a different culture, different ways of expressing myself and so on and so on. So I was literally afraid to go into the team meetings because mm-hmm. I was feeling so uneasy there. So what I did, on the same time, I'm afraid of the heights. So I started to go to climbing area and uh, you can climb yourself quite up and then you take this automatic rope and you go yeah. down. That was extremely scary for me. Like kind of just to do this, I had to push myself through like 
all like take all my strength together and like and now I let it go and go down. But when I kind of managed to fight this fear, after that going to the team meetings was very easy because mm-hmm. I just fight it another fear. So I was kind of pushing myself out of the comfort zone to feeling comfortable <laughs> in a, another out of the comfort zone. And uh, Jakob was talking a lot about this um, tip, how you can actually approach different challenges in your life. Mm-hmm. This is amazing because, I mean, I have to really rely on this goes to tape. Uh, I also used to have, used to be afraid of heights, but uh, then I also started climbing uh, exactly to, <laughs> and uh, nowadays I don't have it anymore mm-hmm. that much at least. And, uh, but one key moment I have to share, uh, so I was still in companies and I was running a team and we had this kind of team building day where all the teams went to like, you know, several hundred kilometers from Helsinki. And uh, then one of the activities was to climb to a tree mm. and then jump mm. from one tree to another. Wow. Of course, there was a little rope like ah, okay. well, keeping you okay. to a, this kind of trapets. So you had to like jump and then fly catch. in the air and then catch it like, and then come down like with the trumpets. So all of my team were saying that, oh, this looks like crazy. They were not going to do it. And then me as a leader, I said, hey, come on. I mean, it's easy. I will show it how it's done. I was so scary. <laughs> scared. I mean, I was like, I mean, why am I doing this? Because I don't like, you know, heights. I did it. I jumped there. Every single person from my team did it after me. And after that moment, I'm not afraid of heights anymore. But uh, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's like you can really learn things. Yeah. So next is the jump with the parachute for you. <laughs> could be, could be, could be. I went to this, uh, you know, this um, uh, sailplanes mm-hmm. course. Yes. So I went to that course afterwards. And I finished it and uh, I mean, it's not exactly afraid of heights because it's flying, but uh, so yeah, parachute next. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Final question. And uh, this is, uh, Lydia, I ask this from all the guests because I mean, as you know, podcast is, our podcast is called Cloud Reachers. So it's like reaching out some dream or online or future, something that is not here, but uh, should be here. So um, how do you see um, in your mind, what is like a person or organization or group of people, anything or anybody who is such a cloud reacher? Very good question. Um, I would say there is one who was literally the cloud reacher and the person whose books I really, really love, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. So he was, he had this call for freedom and for staying true to yourself. And he was a living example of his philosophy, flying very unsteady aircraft, which were super dangerous back then, much more dangerous than now, and like basically risking his life. And in the end, he crashed with his aircraft. But like this feeling of the sky and of the freedom of flying is present in all his books. And he has like very famous, of course, book, the Le Petit Prince. Uh, but I like actually another one, Citadel. There he describes like more like life philosophy. And it's um, 
utopia, so it's a description of imaginary community or city in the desert and how the city lives. And one of the key moments there is that people there, they have to work actually hard and a lot to be able after the work to really, really rest and celebrate. So his point was that in order to really feel this true joy from life, you need to have different things in life. You cannot just live and do nothing because then like this freedom will not feel as a freedom. These moments of rest will not feel as a moment of rest. But if you can compare like hard work and then you have this well-deserved rest, it's very different feeling. You're really enjoying that much more. And I like this uh, a lot in his book. And if you will let me uh, have a very, in a sense, strange, but also quite insightful tale, which I read in the book, Woman Who Runs With the Wolves by Clarissa Pincola Estes. And that really striked me, this uh, story. Go for it. (laughs) Uh, So um, the story is about an absence for me of the black and white in the world. And I think this is also where we are and how actually actually our life is. And the older we are, probably we start to see more sh- like different shades in life, different mm-hmm. shades of white, different shades of black. So it's a love story. So the story is that it's up north, somewhere nearby in Alaska. And uh, a young woman is killed by her father because she didn't want to obey him. So he pushed her into the sea from the cliff. And uh, the place where he died in the sea, it's uh, like now known like as a bad place. And the villagers of this place, they don't go fishing in this spot because they're afraid of bad spirits. But then once the young fisherman from another village who doesn't know at all this story, he comes there to fish. And then he feels that he's like hooked catch something very heavy and he's very excited okay this will be a big big fish and it will make me rich but then he starts to drag it and then he instead of the fish he sees a skeleton and then he's super frightened and he rushes home with the boat dragging a skeleton on a hook and then, still frightened, uh, he runs into his small house nearby the shore. And uh, because it's a tail, the skeleton is always with him. And then at home, he suddenly stops and kind of uh, starts to look what he catched. What is this? And instead of being afraid, uh, he starts to feel a very like this pity and empathy towards this um, corpse. Body and he like thinks, okay, what happened and why this person is dead and so on and so on. And he feels sorry for her. And then because of the fatigue and stress, uh, he falls asleep and he has a tear in his eyes for this um, person. And because it's again, it's a fairy tale, his tear of sympathy brings this woman to life. So warmed by the furs that he put wrap around her, she and with his tear she becomes alive again, a beautiful young girl. And when 
the guy walks up, the man, he sees her and falls in love. And then it's a love story. They live mm -hmm. together for the rest of the life. So uh, what it was like this story for me, and it's a very old tale, is that sometimes the good things, they come through the horror and pain first. So first he was afraid very much, but then like kind of um, still slowing down and looking in the face of this fear and finding this empathy inside him. And he managed to sow something good in this like blackness. And then it turned out to be really good in the end, like mm -hmm. good life and good love story. So I think uh, that's one of like also way to see an old way to see that challenges and bad things are not always like seems what they are. They might turn for good later, mm -hmm. but we need time to understand that. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thanks so much for sharing. And now it comes to my mind also um, the saying that proverb that I really like is that you need to close some doors in order to open new doors, right? So sometimes a very challenging situation might feel that, oh, all the doors are now closed, but perhaps exactly because of that, you have then new opportunities, Yeah, which might sure. be just amazing. But of course, it's still a struggle and still doesn't feel always good to have these challenges or closed doors. But in the end, everything might be, <laughs> yeah, might turn out to be good. And, and if not, like as we've been discussing, everything is still relative. Everything, yeah, absolutely. Hey, thanks, Lydia, so much for sharing all this insight and all this wisdom, I would say, expertise, experiences, your story. Thanks so much for inviting. Thanks. This was a pleasure. And anytime, welcome back to the Cloud Reachers podcast. Thank you. Thanks all. This was Cloud Reachers. I'm Tommy Copeland. See you next time. Ciao.